are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So over the last uh, few years, I've shared with you that at 19 years of age, I experienced a dramatic life transformation. So to borrow words from Simon Peter, who we're studying right now, who borrowed words from Jesus, uh, it was like I was born all over again. My whole life changed. It was like I got a whole new life. But what led up to that experience was the fact that over the past several months, God had been calling me. So God was calling me saying, Rick, I want you to leave the life that you're living and I want you to live life with me. I want to live in fellowship with you. Um, I want you to turn from the way that you've been thinking and I want you to think the way that I want you to think. I want you to follow Jesus. And so it was, it was just huge for me. It was just life transforming. But it was because for months God had been calling me. And so I've been talking to other people about, do you remember when God called you? So just think about your own life for a moment. Do you remember when you felt God was calling you, saying to you, I want you to live your life in relationship with me? Um, I want you to follow Jesus. Do you remember that? When I've talked to people about it, some people said to me, I was going through a really dark time in my life. And it was like in the middle of that really dark time, God just opened his arms and just said, come, come with me. Just come and be with me. Other people have talked about, you know, maybe I grew up in church, uh, but, but really what God wanted for me was not primary. It was secondary. And so for me, it was God calling me to this moment of complete surrender, just to say, God, you have my whole life. My future's in your hands. Whatever you want, I'm good with it. All I want is you. Or, or, or maybe some people have talked about the fact that I had, I had had God call me and I said, yes, I would follow, but I got sidetracked or I chose another path at one point and I felt like God was calling me again, saying, come back to me. So just, just for a moment or two, and I'll be a little quieter for a minute, think with me about when God called you. And when God called you, what did he call you to come away from? And what did he call you to? See, I felt very clearly that God was saying, Rick, I want you to leave this life that you're living. And this is the life that I want you to embrace. And so this is the language all the way through 1 Peter, who we've been studying for the last several weeks. Let me show you one of the verses he gives us, okay? When we think about our calling, Simon Peter uses this language over and over again. You were called, meaning somebody called you, God called you. If you are a born-again Christian today, if you say to me that you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to say to you, the reason you are is because God called you, okay? God got a hold of your heart. God began to call you. You were called out of darkness, Simon Peter says in chapter 2, and into his wonderful light. So God calls you out of darkness, out of sinfulness, out of selfishness, out of self-centeredness, and God calls you into his light. Look at chapter 1, what Simon Peter says. But just as he who called you, remember, if you're a Christian today, it's because God called you, and just as he who called you is holy, So be holy in all that you do. And we grab our hearts and say, how can I be holy? How in the world could I ever be like God? 
And what we do as we read the New Testament is we get a much clearer understanding of what God is like and what it means to be holy by looking at the life of Jesus. And we learn that holiness is actually Christ's likeness. And so we seek to be like Jesus. And that's what Simon Peter says. Look at verse uh, chapter uh, 2 again. To this you were called. Remember somebody called you to this life that you should follow in his steps, meaning that you should follow in the steps of Jesus, that you would become more like Jesus. Did you hear Timmy say a while ago that it's so important to us that we put it on the west wall as you enter our building. We are passionate about becoming more like Jesus. So when we get to chapter three, where we are today, Simon Peter says, this is what it looks like to live like Jesus. Live in harmony with each other. Be sympathetic to one another. Love one another. Be compassionate with one another. Be humble. There's no room for arrogance in the Christian community. When you're mistreated, don't retaliate. And then he says these words, because to this you were called. Here's what I'm trying to say. You have a calling on your life. If you say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a calling on your life. And that calling is to live like Jesus lived. And so here's what we're talking about this morning from Simon Peter. Living up to our calling is essential. So we have a a little boy that attends our church. His name is Brooks Thomas. He's seven years old. He's the son of Joel and Rachel Thomas. And Brooks has been coming into this room with his mom these days during the whole COVID thing. And so last Sunday, Brooks is sitting by his mom and I stand up to preach and I say something about Simon Peter and Brooks looks at his mom and he rolls his eyes and he says, why does he talk about Simon Peter every time we come to church? So since this is the eighth week in Simon Peter, you may be feeling the same. Seriously, he's talking about Simon Peter again. What Simon Peter does is he finds himself in a conversation with people who are experiencing persecution. So they're in a crisis. And what we learned about a crisis is you focus on things that are essential. And Simon Peter today says, living out your calling is essential. All right? So open a Bible with me. Go to Simon Peter chapter 3. Verse 8, and we'll put the words on the screen for you as well. Here we go. Finally, all of you, all of you, be like-minded, harmonious, live in harmony with each other. He's not talking about conformity. He's talking about uniformity, okay? Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate. Be humble. Do not, I repeat, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, instead, repay evil with blessing. If somebody mistreats you, you bless them. That's the Jesus way. Because, read these five words with me. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For, and he quotes Psalm 34, whoever would love life and see good days, he repeats the virtues that we just read in the earlier verses. Keep your tongue from evil, lips from deceitful speech, turn from evil and do good, seek peace, pursue it. And then here's the motivation. 
You ready? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, God is watching us. So let's dig in. I brought a book with me today. The title of the book is Called to the Fire. And it's written by a guy whose name is Chet Bush. And so Chet Bush is a Nazarene pastor. And Called to the Fire is a story about another Nazarene pastor whose name is Charles Johnson, an African-American Nazarene pastor. Charles Johnson believed that God was calling him to pastor a church in Meridian, Mississippi in the early 1960s. He had just graduated from Bible college. Now, let me talk to you about the 1960s for a moment in Meridian, Mississippi. It was part of the Deep South where signs were over the restroom that said, whites only. And over another set of restrooms around the corner, it said, coloreds only. We're talking about Meridian, Mississippi, where over public water fountains, there were signs that said, whites only. And around the corner at another water fountain was a sign that said, coloreds only. We're talking about the deep south where people who were of color were expected to ride on the back of the bus while whites rode on the front seats of the bus. And Charles Johnson began to believe that God was calling him to go to Meridian, Mississippi and become the pastor of a church called Fickens Memorial Church of the Nazarene. That was in the early 60s. Listen to me. He's still there pastoring that church today. He was very involved in the civil rights movement. And when Chet Bush writes this book, and if you buy this book and read it, I will be overwhelmed. I will be shocked. I will be surprised. I will be in disbelief if you say anything to me other than that was an awesome book. It was extremely fair. It was helpful. It was inspiring. And God spoke to me through it. I will be amazed if you say anything other than that. Chet Bush says that Charles Johnson lived his life to dignify a people and try to bring justice for them. And he also tried to dignify another people, white people, to demand justice from them. Because Charles Johnson believes there is no dignity in any human being that treats another human being as second rate. Charles Johnson actually testified in the trial that the FBI dubbed the Mississippi burning, where three civil rights activists were murdered. In fact, he was the only African-American in the courtroom when he testified. One man who went to prison as a result of that trial, his name was Alton Wayne Roberts, was very unkind, hateful, hurtful to Charles Johnson, as was his brother. After he got out of prison a week later, Charles Johnson is on his front porch in 1977 
with his little girl and Alton Wayne Roberts came walking up the street that Charles lived on. And Charles looked out, and when he realized who it was, he said, I thought to myself, he's probably come to kill me. Mr. Johnson, could I speak to you? I walked off my front porch and out onto the street, and Alton Wayne Roberts said, I painted this when I was in prison as a gift to you. And in his other hand was a string of fish that he had just caught that morning. He said, and I wish you would take these. Brother Johnson, I was young. I was messed up. I was wrong. And he began to cry. And he said, is there any way you would find it in your heart to forgive me? And as he began to cry uncontrollably, he puts his arms around Charles Johnson. And Charles Johnson puts his arms around him. And Charles says, Mr. Roberts, I forgive you. And Chet writes in the book, it's not an image that you saw during the civil rights movement. And it's not a picture that appeared on the front cover of Time magazine. But it's the story of the civil rights in, in the 1960s. Charles Johnson said, people have asked me over the years, why did you forgive that man? And Charles Johnson said, because Jesus asked me to forgive that man. His word teaches me to forgive your enemies. And the thing that overwhelms me when I read about Charles Johnson is that he said we were committed to nonviolence and we never budged on it. When they hit us, we did not hit them back. When they called us names, we did not call them names back. When they came at us, we did not retaliate. We modeled the life of Christ. And Simon Peter says, you have been called to a life. If you've been born again, if you refer to yourself as a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have been called to this life, and it's a life of non-retaliation. When somebody hurts you, you don't hurt them back. When somebody cusses at you, you don't cuss back. If they hit you, you don't hit back. You take on the attitude of Jesus. Remember his line in chapter 2, for to this you have been called. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate, and so we don't retaliate. We live like Christ. And that's the life that you and I have been called to. You see, we as Christians, we're, we're supposed to be different. And, and what attracts people to us is the fact that we don't act like everybody else and we don't respond like everybody else. But the moment that we strike back, the world looks at us and says, why would I want to be like them? They're like me. You've probably had the experience where you've been with friends and you wanted to go to a restaurant and nobody wants to decide which restaurant you're going to, right? And so somebody speaks up and says, well, what about this place? And everybody says, no, we don't want to go to that place. Well, what about this place? Oh, that doesn't sound good. Well, what about this place? No, I don't want to go there. And finally, you just want to stop and say, okay, let's, let's do this differently, okay? Instead of you just shooting down my ideas, why don't you tell me what restaurant you would like to go to, right? It's like when you're a kid and your parents would say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Well, tell me what I should do then. And that's where Simon Peter leaves us. I love him for it. He doesn't just say, don't retaliate. Here's what he says you should do. You ready for this? 
When somebody mistreats you, you want to know what you should do? Bless them. Okay, when he says bless them, he doesn't actually mean bless them, does he? No, I think that's what he means. I think when he says bless them, he means bless them. I, I, I think about those times when somebody does something nice for me and I say, I'm, I'm so blessed. <laughs> or when somebody says to me, Pastor Rick, I pray for you all the time, I just think, oh, I am so blessed that you would pray for me. I think that's what he means. I think he means bless the people who mistreat you. This is the life to which you have been called. Wow. About a year ago now, I went to Israel with friends, Jeffrey and Julie. They happen to be visiting today. And so we were asking them, so when we get to Israel, what's it like? And so they were, you know, trying to tell us. And I'm like, do we stay in hotels? Well, you stay in a kibbutz. Um, and they have guest housing in the kibbutz. And it's kind of like a hotel, I guess, in a way. And I'm like, well, I don't know what a kibbutz is. What do you mean kibbutz? It was hard for me to understand. Well, a kibbutz is a community, they would say. It's like a community of people that kind of live together within this community. And they have guest housing in the community. And that's how they generate revenue. And so it's kind of like a hotel. I mean, in a way, it's like a hotel. But you stay, you know, in this guest housing. But you're staying in a kibbutz. Well, I didn't understand what a kibbutz was. So in the 1900s, when Jewish people began to return to Israel to reclaim the soil of their heritage, instead of saying, well, we're going to live up here on the hill, and this other family, you guys can move down the road a couple, three miles, and, and another family that we're close to, you guys live over here another mile away, and, and you guys can live across the valley over here. They said, no, no, we don't want to do that. We're vulnerable. The Arabs are not happy that we're here trying to reclaim land in the first place. So instead of just kind of scattering out, why don't we all just live together? Why don't we form a community, a kibbutz? And why don't we live within that community? And why don't we, since we're poor, why don't we work and kind of put everything together? And since we're vulnerable, why don't we stay together to make it less likely for us to be attacked? And so what they were doing was saying... How can we best live in a world that is hostile toward us? And that's exactly what Simon Peter says to the people that he's writing to who are undergoing persecution because of their faith. How do, how do you live in a world that is hostile toward you? And he says, number one, we got to stick together. You just got to gotta stay together. Let me, let me give you the language that he uses here, okay? Be like-minded. Live in, live in harmony with each other. Come on, get along. You know what I'm saying? Stay together. Don't let great divisions come among you. You, you need each other. If you're going to deal in this hostile world, you guys have to be unified. Be sympathetic toward one another. If one of you hurts, we all hurt. If somebody's going through a tough time, it's tough on all of us. Love one another. This is the Jesus language. Be compassionate toward one another. Be humble. This is the way you kind of get along. This is how you gotta how you gotta live. So back in the 1986, there was a guy named Steve Winwood, a British um, artist, who had a hit song. 
Anybody remember what song that was in 1986? Steve Winwood, British singer. Higher Love. You remember it? Most of you weren't born in 1986, I know. Bring me a higher love. That's, that's kind of how it sounded. <laughs> kind of. Think about it. There must be a higher love. Down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. Without it, life is wasted time. Look inside your heart. I'll look inside mine. Things look so bad everywhere. Can I get a big amen? In this whole world, what is fair? I, another amen, right? We walk blind and we try to see. I love these words right here. Falling behind in what could be. I mean, if I just want to describe the world today, I would just say we are falling behind in what could be if we just loved each other. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Oh, bring me a higher love. Where's that love I'm thinking of? That's what Simon Peter is saying 2,000 years ago. We've got to love each other. There's a higher love. We've got to get along. We've got to be sympathetic. We've got to be humble. We've got to be compassionate toward one another. Do you know what the competition is today for all of these virtues, for higher love? You know what the competition is? Self-expression. But I've got a right to express myself. We find avenues like social media to express ourselves. And once we get to the place that self-expression is more important than harmony, and self-expression is more important than loving one another, and self-expression is more important than humility, and self-expression is more important than following the pattern of Jesus of non-retaliation, we're lost. It's not the Jesus way. So, you got a calling to live out. Sometimes it's hard. People want to persecute you. What's it look like? Harmony? Sympathy? Love one another? Humbleness? Compassion? That's what the church looks like. So let me, just, let me just tell you something, okay? When I was 19, and on a Sunday night, I stepped out of the pew from where I was standing behind it, walked down the aisle, got on my knees at an altar, and I said, Jesus, I'm done. Man, I'm serious. I am done with this life. You've called me. I'm coming with you. I knew exactly what I was getting into. If you would have given me a list and said, now let me just tell you what this life looks like, okay? It's, it's all about harmony, living in harmony. It's about loving others. It's about sympathy. It's about compassion. It's about humility. You don't retaliate. I would have been like, no, I know. I know. I know that's what it is. Because I know that's what God is. I know that's what Jesus is. I was not shocked I doubt that there's anybody in the room who's a follower of Jesus that would say, yeah, I had no idea that that's what I was signing up for. You, no, I know. This is the Jesus way. 
So let me just wrap up with a real quick story, okay? We have a couple who attends our church, and they have attended our church for a long time. And there's this other couple that attends our church, and they've attended our church for a long time. And this other couple have gone through so much stuff in their lives over these last three, four years. I mean, just hard. If I just said, you want me to tell you about living life and it being about as hard as it can be to live, that, that's their story. Sickness, struggles, you name it. And so this one couple looks at this other couple who's going through such a hard time. And you know what they feel for them? Compassion. Because they love them. And they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to walk with you. We're just going to, we're going to walk with you through this time. I, I can't begin to tell you today the depths that they have gone to to stand beside this couple. And all of this time, they've assumed nobody was watching. They weren't doing it for that reason. It was out of humility. It got to the point that a few of us pastors on staff here became very aware of how they were serving and the price they were paying to love this couple. And I sent a text this week and I just said, it's not going unnoticed. You might think nobody's watching, we're watching. I can't imagine what you've done that I don't know about, but what I do know about overwhelms me. Thank you so much for loving and giving and serving like you have. But here's the truth of the matter, okay? And this is where Simon Peter takes us. At the very end of this passage, he says, you know what? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Every time you loved that couple, God was watching Every time you helped them pay a bill, God was watching. Every time you helped them move, God was watching. Every time you took them to the doctor, God was watching. Every moment you loved and every moment you served, God was watching because God is everywhere and he sees everything. And that's Simon Peter's motivation to us today. He says, there is this life that you've been called to live. But let me tell you something. God is seeing everything that you do and everything that you don't do. God is everywhere, and God sees all things. He is watching us. And there is only one, ultimately, that we will answer to in the end, and that is God himself. And so we've got a calling on our lives. And God is watching us. Do you need grace? <laughs> you need help? I do. My wife would tell you, I need grace. I need help. And so today, we come to a moment of grace. Would you reach over if you're here in the room and would you pick up the, uh, the cup that is on the seat beside you? 
If you're watching from home or you're driving a car, you've maybe gotten elements that you've prepared so you can receive communion with us. Aren't you grateful that even in this season that we're dealing with COVID, we still get to be together? Whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online, had a pastor friend the other day say he was so thankful for FaceTube. Yeah, we still get to be together, don't we? And so if you'll just tear off the top portion, you can get the bread and then tear off the next portion and you can get to the drink. So when Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread. Now in a moment, when you eat it and when you drink, you are literally in that moment, not figuratively, but literally in that moment, receiving God's grace into your life. Wow. In the next few moments, God is gonna gift you with grace to live this life he has called you to. And Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it, eat it, all of you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it and be thankful. Father, thank you for the grace provided to us by Jesus. Give us the grace to live in harmony with one another, to be sympathetic, to love one another, to be compassionate, to be humble, to not retaliate when mistreated, but give us the grace to live the Jesus way. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.